running gold thing. San Diego Padre, I'm running gold thing. I'm running gold thing. It's never the same. Dominic and James Paz games always the same. This ain't your grandpappy's team. They changing the game. Seventh inning start the rally. They changing the game. Fernando, Tatis, going yard, hitting seats. Maya's in Machado, snatching victory from defeat. Hosman says we're nasty, now the world about to see. They call it Slam Diego, now the world about to see. Please don't think we them same old paws, paws. Trading players and lacking stars. Please don't think we them same old paws, paws. Trading players and lacking a brown and gold thing. 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 San Diego Padres. What's going on, folks? Welcome to the San Diego Padres East Village Times podcast. And Mr. Eric Loggenhagen will be joining us shortly. Uh, Fangraphs lead prospect analyst, friend of the show, has been on multiple times, always willing to 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 come on and talk to us. It's it's great to have Eric on. Uh, Dominic, how are you doing, man? Busy time of the year for you. Uh, Padres are winning. Good stuff, man. Yeah, I got back from vacation. Uh, being able to watch Padres games at the poolside is really awesome in Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, definitely recommend. You know, some people say they don't want to plan vacations during the season. Plan them during a road trip. Do that, especially when they go to the East Coast and then the games are starting at one o'clock and then the morning games are starting at 10. It's awesome. I, yeah. I couldn't have asked for anything better. I even got. I even got what I thought was a pretty good article out while I was sitting there. So uh, make sure to keep checking out our content at eSportsTimes.com. Yeah. Pumping out Padres, Aztecs, everything, San Diego sports. Definitely. Dominic is a multitasker on vacation, cranking out pieces. Uh, Padres won today, swept the Giants, so 27-14 on the year. Half game behind the Dodgers. Uh, Milwaukee and Pittsburgh head to town uh, this week. Uh, exciting times. Tatis is, is taking ground balls, should be back shortly. The offense is is getting the job done. Uh, I wouldn't say they're they're performing, but they're getting the job done with the, the starting pitching just being lights out the way it is right now. Uh, shout out to Joe Musgrove, who is definitely pitching well, uh, who should be re-signed by this team, right, Dominic? Yeah, and I uh, I also wrote an article about that. Uh, we're recording this Sunday night. I wrote this Saturday night and then into the morning as well because uh, I was looking at a bunch of stuff, you know, reading the uh, reading quotes that I could find so I'm not misinforming the public. But uh, the headline is, and I mean, unless it gets changed, please don't change this. I thought it was a really good headline is Padres are paying the price for not extending Joe Musgrove because, you know, Obviously, it's awesome that Musgrove is playing well, but it would be awesome and even more awesome if they would have extended him before the year because they uh, definitely would have saved some money. Mackenzie Mackenzie Gore was pitched awesome today. I mean, what was that? Six shutout innings, or or he allowed one run, right? One run tonight. Uh, it's it's just great to see him step up uh, with a Clevenger injury back into the starting rotation and perform. Um, the prospects are are performing for the Padres. Uh, so we thought we'd bring in Mr. Eric Loggenhagen, fresh off his top 35 prospect list for fan graphs. Uh, so stay with us, folks. Uh, we'll be back shortly. Mr. Eric Loggenhagen is here. 
Welcome back. We're here chatting with Mr. Eric Longenhagen. Eric, what's up, man? How you doing? Pretty good. Um, getting hot here in in Phoenix. It's been a grind going to some of the extended spring training games in the middle of the day. And starting Wednesday, we'll have the Pac-12 tournament here where we're doing like, you know, four games some days. So getting into that time where it's it can be tough to be at the field all day, but it's for the last several months, have it's been great here. Eric, uh, we get, we get plenty of guests on the show and of all the guests, I get the most positive feedback from you. I get, I just fans really love uh, your information that you gather and that you're able to, to digest it and, and, and give it back to them in, in ways that they can uh, understand it. So kudos to you. And uh, thank you so much for, again, for being on the show again. Oh, my pleasure. I, I appreciate hearing that. Obviously like the way we do things at, at Fangraphs is a little bit different. It's a, it's a longer process. Um, to help enable like the depth that I pathologically need to <laughs> like mine uh, to feel some amount of satisfaction with it. And I think that, yeah, we do the best we can to make sure that any relevant prospect is analyzed there. So the, this, the, this Padres group, um, you know, uh, the way the lists roll out, I will be targeting the teams that we're working on um, like laying track ahead of, the publication schedule and uh, the Padres fell toward the back of the group, knowing that a lot of the key evaluation guys were going to be left back here in an extended spring. Uh, And so was lucky enough to do, although the Mariners have had like two COVID outbreaks with their extended group and play the Padres guys a lot, obviously because they share a facility. So it has been a little bit tougher than uh, years past to like get clean looks at the Padres here the last little bit but yeah saw the extended guys a bunch and hope that that made a meaningful impact on the way we think about the system top to bottom uh any anybody stand out in the last uh, week or so or a couple weeks that you've seen uh, an extended or as far as yeah yeah on monday um harlan susana was 96 to 101 um this is the second time i've seen him this spring i saw him in a a 10 a.m. game against some of the Diamondbacks guys during proper minor league spring training. And obviously for the guys who are part of his signing class, like he's a little bit older because he waited a year. Um, And so he's here while most of the other guys who are from that class are still in the DR. But yeah, he, he was like 90, he was mostly like 95 to 97 that first day. And again, it was like 10 a.m. It was very early in camp for him as well. Um, Slider quality that morning was was pretty bad in my notes. I've got a lot of thirties. Uh, and then on Monday it was, it was different. It was, you know, 96 to one Oh one for two innings with a lot of plus sliders in that like 87 to 91 mile an hour area. He's a giant kid. There's, it's how not the, like, how are the mechanics since he's so big? Is, is, there, is there a lot of moving parts or. No, it's um, and folks, if, if folks want to watch, I've got, footage of both outings um on the fangraphs youtube page it's like 41 minutes of susana um but uh they're they're fine he's not a guy with like premium fastball shape and life it is really going to have to live off of that velocity like we're watching with hunter green in the big leagues right now like that stuff is so super duper important uh to help you know as far as enabling your fastball to play so some of those elements i'm not sure are totally there this guy has 
throne, uh, probably uh, like at least a little bit in front of some TrackMan units here in Arizona. Certainly that day I was at the D-backs place. They have that backfield fitted with a unit, uh, but I haven't seen any hard data to tell me like how explosive or not that fastball is. It just seems fine um like sitting 10 feet from you know behind the backstop it's obviously very hard uh and the kids down here for the most part like can't deal with it uh the d-backs guys who he played that morning it was a group of their upper level guys it was you know like uh oliver perez pitched in that game uh it was a lot of like stone garrett and grayson griner guys who were going to be at reno uh you know some guys who were literally 10 years older than susana so um maybe that was a little bit better of, of a test but it was also so early in camp he, he looks good like it's just knowing that he's pretty physically mature for his age and and that this is what there's going to be, you know, velo wise, like this is it. There's, there's not going to be any more than this, which is fine because it's elite yeah. velocity already. Um, it's just about him finding consistency with quality of fastball strikes, slider consistency, and then a third, find a third pitch. Um, there, I, I have seen some changeups. They're not good. Just fine. 18 year old throwing hundred. fine. Um, but um but that stuff's going to have to come down the line. Yeah. As an 18 year old who threw 70 miles an hour, I'm certainly jealous uh, of Susanna. Obviously I'm only five ten, <laughs> So I was never going to throw a hundred, but he's certainly a player that I've had my eye on just because like you look at his profile and you see, Whoa, throws a hundred has starting pitching potential. And then uh, in your write up on fan graphs, which of course we're going to link in the, uh, the podcast episode and on our write up on East village times. That way everyone can get the full details on any prospect that maybe we don't talk about. You mentioned a uh, bruised dark Ratterall and a late inning relief floor. Uh, I mean, what do you think Susana's future? Obviously it's ways away, but with the Padres, do you actually think he could be a starting pitcher for the Padres? Or do you think he might be more in the bruised our path where he ends up in the bullpen? I think that you certainly want to develop him as a starter. And he has that type of build where you would expect a guy like this, to eat 160, 180 innings, um, assuming that he can be healthy. And obviously that's just not a thing that we'll know until he does this over time and builds an innings foundation. The thing that is similar about Brewstar is visually to me, the shape of Susana's fastball is potentially a problem. Not that, you know, he's going to get knocked around, but just that it might prevent him from, from plowing through upper level hitters and impact the way his fastball plays the way Bruce star who throws hundred miles an hour, like doesn't get a ton of swings and misses with that fastball, even though he's in an org that is quite good at pitch optimization. Uh, and it's just because his fastball just doesn't have that type of movement. Uh, we've seen this plenty of times, you know, guys like Tiago Vieira, uh, Mauricio Cabrera, like these are guys who threw upper nineties, Mauricio Cabrera, I've seen touch one Oh three, but it just doesn't play. Um, so I think that that is in the realm of possibility for Susana. Um, but you know, there are other avenues, even if that is true, like it's just about having a four seamer, having a two seamer, being unpredictable, mixing in your, your secondary offerings, the raw material that they have to work with here is a giant 18 year old who throws as hard as this guy does and whose breaking ball quality flashes what this guy's does. Uh, and that's a pretty special place to start. And if that's all there ever is here, that is that, you know, then I think you're looking at 
at Brewstar, which is why I think like I, I comped Brewstar here as the floor with uh, specificity around suboptimal fastball shape. Yeah, I just wanted to get your opinion on that because you did give the Brewstar comp, but uh, listed as a starting pitcher and a Padres prospect who has already gone up and down this year is Steven Wilson. And you got him listed right around Susana. Have you been able to watch much of Steven Wilson this year? And if you have, what have your thoughts been on him at the major league level? Yeah. Um, have Wilson in this 40 plus tier, which is for a single inning reliever. Like that's a pretty lofty grade. Uh, that's like me saying Steven Wilson's going to be a seventh inning or later type of guy here over the next half decade or so. While, you know, the Padres have uh, like retained his rights, basically. Um, this is a guy with monster, like the antithesis of, of Bruce Starr's fastball shape is Stephen Wilson's. Like this is a monster carry mid to upper nineties fastball for how things have gone so far. Like Stephen Wilson has been really, really good basically since he entered the system. Uh, he's been great in the Dominican winter league facing a lot of really advanced veteran uh, Dominican hitters. I think that as in terms of him having like an impact second pitch, that is 50-50, maybe a little bit less. I think his breaking ball is fine. It is just that this is like a plus-plus fastball. It's not as hard as like Harlan Susana's fastball, but it's action, it's movement, gives it a ton of margin for error in the strike zone guys are going to be swinging underneath this fastball and Wilson's quite good at, at locating it at the top of the zone. Uh, so I think this guy's got a shot to be a, a high leverage piece here in, in the short term. Eric, let's, let's talk about Samuel Zavala, someone who I've, who I've really intrigued about uh, Fangraphs really likes him. You really like him. What do you like most about him? Is the, the athleticism, is it the, the fact that he's just maturing while players his age are, are just kind of floundering. I, I don't know. Talk to, talk to me a little bit about Samuel Zavala, if you could, please. He's another one where being able to see this group come through during the spring was key. Uh, obviously like Victor Acosta is more of the name guy mm -hmm. uh, like on your Padres extended roster who would seem like the one who folks have talked up as potentially popping um, in like a big way. And I think that that's plausible. Uh, but Zavala is the one of the group that was, that's been here in Arizona who has the most advanced bat to ball ability. Uh, just really beautiful left-handed swing barrel control using the whole field uh, you know, dealing with some of the rehab pitchers who are down here, who are much older than him. Uh, it, it just like taking great at bats left on left uh, that day against Oliver Perez in particular stands out. Um, you know, Oliver Perez's career has lasted longer than Zavala has been alive. <laughs> and was the same was true of a bunch of the other guys who Sad but true. Uh, they played against that day. And, you know, like Zavala was just the most comfortable against this funky old junk balling lefty like everybody else was getting carved up uh -huh. and this guy was was doing okay the, the last time i saw them before we ran the list uh you know like this guy took 94 on the outer third the other way like shortened up with two strikes and just kind of put the barrel out there hit one really hard down the opposite field line like he's doing a lot of stuff 
like that, checking back through the, through my notes, stuff like this, like descriptors about how advanced, like him spoiling pitches and, and grinding through, through at bats. This has been pretty evident now for uh, like consistently, as I've seen this guy, he's, this is not like your traditional teenage six three six four one seventy projectable. Like there's going to be thirty pounds and so, like two more grades of power on this guy when the cement is, is dry on his physique. Uh, he's more like six one six two, closer to physical maturity than is typical for for somebody this age. Maybe that's uh, to how he's performing a little bit. Uh, but just in terms of confidence in his ability to hit, was a separator for me and made me want to stuff this guy in this in this future value tier, which indicates that he's got a chance to, to really pop over time. Someone who I think has the foundation to, to maybe be an everyday player eventually. Yeah. I mean, what, what is he 17? I mean, that's r- remarkable. I mean, 17 is, that's pretty incredible to be able to battle and hold your own against someone like Oliver Perez. Yeah. Like that's they could send him to Elsinore and I bet he would be fine at 17. Probably. Right. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, Lake Elsinore, let's talk about one of their outfielders, uh, their center fielder, their uh, six foot seven center fielder uh, by the name of James Wood, who's just demolishing baseballs, uh, a little bit of injuries to, to start the season. But talk to me about James Wood and what you like most about him other than the obnoxious power that he has. <laughs> well, other than that, um, <laughs> Wood was tough. As an amateur, his swing now is different and much better than it was when he was an amateur. I was skeptical. I I was very scared of this guy when he was in high school. I thought that, you know, at his size, for sure, we were looking at first base and the swing and his length. I've like just been so often burned by these super long levered guys who tantalize you during BP and they hit in the lower minors and then just because of the length in their arms and and almost always in their swings they end up being exposed at upper levels and this has happened you know lewis brinson is the one that always comes to mind for me the most um as a guy who's just like performed 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 there were always some underlying swing and miss issues but but not really you know uh, with his sur- surface level performance. And then he just could, has not been able to touch big league pitching at all, even though he performed all the way through the minors. So I'm cautious of these guys. It is way more often the Wander Franco, Jose Ramirez, like compact little short levered body type guys yeah. who I want to be confident in their bat to ball skills. But James Woods swing has some stuff going on that is kind of special and weird for someone his size. He is able to kind of tuck his hands in, rotate his torso through contact. And just because he's so strong, like get the barrel on pitches on the inner half, work through the middle of the field to the left center part of the field and do so with power. And this guy's just smoking huge line drives. Uh, His expected slugging is, you know, like in the, the 500 area, um, yeah, I asked someone with the team who's got like stack cast stuff for the minors, basically like, is this real or is this a Cal league, uh, like caricature to a degree, but like, no, this guy's power is, is every bit as good. And he, he would be producing at this level. The visual evaluation, we watch him take PP is, 
ridiculous and he's performing in that way for a while last summer and fall when he first came to Arizona and you know, I was watching him on the complex and and during instructs like you know it was it was almost a little concerning how often he was working the opposite way like can this guy turn on the baseball at all but his swing had been tweaked uh, and this spring he started to find at least in, during my in-person looks like comfortability with turning on pitches that he could uh, while still working the middle of the field and uh, left center field gap when it was appropriate to do so. So in addition to him having a little bit better feel to hit and me being less scared of the stuff now relative to high school, he's really running. Like he's really covering a lot of ground in center field and it's not normal. Like this is a different, guy this is like in that ellie de la cruz area where you're just like this is a freaky kind of profile o'neill o'neill cruz like this guy's so big he's so fast he has so much power he's hitting some of the visual components with his swing have changed and make me want to you know more likely to buy in that like this is a meaningful development that he is hitting better now than he was in high school so he moved into our, our hundred. Like I just have him in that 75 ish area overall, where there are a lot of these high variance, high upside guys on like the prospect continuum guys who might be huge. There is still risk. Uh, it's a, it's a difficult thing to forecast, but there is huge, huge star level upside. Like he's in this area at the same time that like Ronald Acuna was in this area for, um, me. And I think Kylie at the time at the site, um, you know, like Kevin Alcantara and Jason Dominguez and Alexander Ramirez and Ellie De La Cruz. Like this is the group of names who he's sort of in the mix with now in that, in that area, in the back quarter of our uh, top 100 or so. And you got 50 fangraph value on wood. And then the other Padres top prospect that is 50 fangraph value is Robert Hassel, the third. And looking at the list, I mean, you got Hassel listed as a right fielder, and Wood listed as a center fielder. I found that interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Hassel, I mean, obviously the Padres do not have a right fielder on the roster for next year. You think Hassel could be up in the majors to begin next year or even just in the beginning of the year? And uh, how do you think Hassel and Wood uh, can compare as the years are going to go forward? I think that obviously the Padres, when you think about questions like this, you, you think about them a little differently than you do with most of the other orgs, just because of how willing they are to push their guys and not worry so much about optimizing service time and years of control uh, for the club. They're, they're much more willing to do right by the player and do right by the, the 25 other guys in the big league locker room and just promote who they think is their best guy. So I suppose that, that, you know, if Robert Hassel continues to hit the way he has historically, that he could be in position to be one of those guys at some point next year. Um, I do have him in right field. That is entirely my call just off of my looks. This guy's got a good first step and good range in center field. He just does not have that closing ability. This is just like the guy who at the catch point, it becomes more of an adventure. He's not really, you know, finishing plays with the level of, of conviction and, and confidence and ease that I want out of like my big league center fielder. Trent Grisham does that. Like he seems so relaxed. 
you know, he's running to the spot and like the play feels over even before the ball is in his glove. A lot of the time, uh, that's not, that's not Robert Hassel, which is fine. Um, there are probably some times still where he'll have to play center field and it'll be a suboptimal thing, but it'll be okay. Uh, with his arm strength and with his range in right, like you could be looking at it above average to plus right fielder. Like that stuff seems fine. Uh, so, you know, I've got more of a low variance 50, 50 being like an average everyday player at your position on Robert Hassel. I think it's a pretty solid everyday right fielder with wood it's more like forecasting the path of a, of a hurricane, you know, several years away from when the hurricane is going to make landfall with wood. There's still huge, huge risk uh, with, with a guy like this, that he, I mean, think about how old he is and how big he is already. I don't know what James Wood is going to look like at age 22, 24, you know, he might be 270 pounds, and be playing right field or be playing first base. Think like in the wood blurb, the way his profile reads broad strokes, like a guy this big with this much speed and power and some strikeout risk. Like it reads like Adam Dunn at the same age. And like, obviously Adam Dunn got huge and had to play the corner outfield for basically his whole career. Um, You know, so the wood grade is made with this in mind. Like this is a guy who, the error bar is is pretty big. Um, so like typically these things tend to shake out on their own. I don't think there's any need to rush a guy like James Wood. He's just going to continue to let you know that he's ready to be promoted. It wouldn't surprise me if they gave him like a month of run at high A towards the end of this year to see how he, he does. Um, but uh, with Hassel, I think that he's more in position within the next, you know, 12 months looking at the middle of next summer if he's if he's really just raking consistently and then maybe you know next september or whatever but i think the way he's tracking is is fine i I don't think there's any reason to like worry about a log jam in your outfield here in the long term stuff like this tends to work itself out and if hassle by some chance gets promoted up to double it that'll open them potentially open up a spot for for wood and highest that would be kind of cool to see them towards the end of the year if that if that does happen, obviously both guys need to stay healthy and play well. And I mean, the first thing that jumps out to me when looking at your prospect list is number one prospect, CJ Abrams. But what stood out to me was his fielding rating. And I saw that you mentioned it, his hands have kind of disappointed you. And, you know, one of the awesome things about prospects is that it's not just one guy. We've also had other conversations with other prospect evaluators and they like his glove more than you. Why are you so down on CJ Abrams glove? Yeah, I think that for sure it has gotten better since Abrams has been in pro ball. Uh, the, the big thing for me is arm utility. Like there's there's one, one thing is your max out arm strength when you're stepping into a throw and making like a comfortable, fundamentally sound throw. But when you're playing shortstop at the big league level, the frequency with which you actually get to do that is small and will become even less frequent if within the next year we have a ban on shifting in a way that limits what you can do in terms of defensive positioning. Like Paul DeYoung got to play shortstop for the Cardinals throughout his career, mostly because of the way the Cardinals got to position him where he felt and looked most comfortable 
making plays coming in from right to left so that he could like step into those throws rather than having to backhand a high percentage of, of balls put in play within range of him. Uh, and so like, there are certain things that you can do with someone like CJ Abrams to make sure that this guy doesn't have to make like Derek Jeter jump throws up the middle on balls hit between, you know, shortstop and second base. Cause it's not really a thing that he's, great at doing consistently and just historically in in baseball since i've like been doing this the guys like abrams who tend to toe this line where you're like yeah like you try him in the middle infield and if not then you know he has the wheels to play center field like more often than not these guys go out to center field eventually uh it's just easier to find great like jake cronenworth is great you know like he's really good there so it's hard to tell someone like jake cronenworth that you're gonna play him at first base while like we downgrade defensively at second like this just doesn't it's not how things work out so uh i do think that eventually uh we will see cj abrams in center, in center field um i think that he has gotten himself to a point of like viability at second base for me to like put a big league average grade on you with any component, be it your overall grade or like a specific tool, like I have to think it's good relative to the big leaguers, not relative mm-hmm. to all these minor leaguers. So um, there, there are a lot of really good defensive infielders out there and there are plenty of guys who are below average defense, defensive infielders who are playing their position. Like look at the, all of the Phillies, uh, you know, like it's, it's pretty common. So even if CJ Abrams goes out there at second base, like relative to, to big leaguers. Yeah. I think like he's probably going to be a 40 there, which is still going to be totally fine if that's what ends up happening. Um, but yeah, like ultimately CJ, CJ Abrams, I think will hit enough that it doesn't really matter where he's going to play. It's going to be somewhere up the middle of the field. And I buy that. He's going to hit a ton. He's going to grow into power as he comes into physical maturity and be like an impact offensive force. Uh, who's also impacting the game on the bases in a big way. So yeah, obviously like I think CJ Abrams is still going to be a star, even if he's not a great defensive second baseman. Yeah. And I was going to ask, cause you, listen to him as a second baseman here on this list. And obviously you mentioned it. Jake Cronenworth plays a great second base. Hassan Kim can also play a great second base and the Potters have a pretty good shortstop in the name of Fernando Tatis jr. But also have a great defensive center fielder. Do you think Abrams could maybe play the corner outfield? Maybe. I think that it would be, it might be easier slash it's of lower risk to the Padres to have slow played any attempt at making Abrams more versatile defensively. Like they haven't even dabbled in trying any of this stuff and have already added him to their 40 man and started his service clock. So uh, I think like trying him in a corner to start is probably the way that the big league team is the least punished for them taking this approach where he hasn't really done anything other than play the middle infield because they are so hell bent on him doing that, which again, like that seems okay. And make pulling the rip cord and having him play a little bit of like corner outfield to start is yeah. probably the right move. Yeah. Um, bizarre yeah. that they, they didn't allow him the opportunity. I mean, he's obviously athletic enough to play the position and, and let's not kid ourselves. We're talking about Kyle Schwarber can play the, the corner outfield. I mean, there's, right. there's players who can go out there and perform. I mean, 
I don't know, but the Padres have always traditionally done things their own way. And I guess this is just another example of that. Right. And he, some of it is just, he's been hurt, right? Like some of it is that we missed the year because of the pandemic. And then he was hurt for a huge chunk of 2021 and like just having him healthy and playing has been enough, but, and like, so that's a, a fair reason to explain why they haven't like tried anything in this area, but also like, then you rush to put him on the active roster then yeah, like right. talking about his clock right uh, but like you, you know and we were talking about it earlier with hassel maybe being in range within a year like robert hassel doesn't technically need to be put on exactly. the 40 man until after 2024 <laughs> right like really the guy to who's progressing progression to watch it Fort Wayne is Brandon Valenzuela. Like that's the one he's the one who he's a December, 2022 40 man decision. Like they will either have to put him on the 40 or expose him to the rule five. Okay. Like he's the one really there to, to, to look and see like they should, if this guy's performing, like they need to promote him. They need to see what they have here or they need to send him to fall league. Like they well, have, it, it, he's the one to, to decide. Interesting that you bring him up. Cause that's someone that I've always liked. I mean, uh, he always gets the, the, uh, praise for his defense, but I, I, I like his bat. I think that there's potential there. I know it's a switch hitter and, and it, it gets complicated when you're talking about a catcher having to work on both sides of the plate and, and also his catching and, and receiving, but, I don't know. I, I see upside there. What 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 do you like and dislike about Valenzuela right now? Yeah, I'm with you. Like the arm strength part of it is for sure there. It's going to be yeah. a bigger piece of the defensive pie when we seemingly soon here get a robo zone. Um, it's going to be a bigger deal that 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 is your core skill as a defensive catcher. Uh, and then yeah, the switch hitting part of it. He had been more contact oriented in the past and then has been striking out a little bit more this year, but you know, there's, there's patience here, switch hitting super athletic uh, for a catcher. Now the, the grades I have on his offense are both a shade below average in terms of where I've got his hit tool projected, where I've got the power projected. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this position that still plays every day, like the Marlins gave up a ton to trade for Garrett Stallings, you know, like Jorge Alfaro is just a val- like you, a valuable big league catcher. So think about how much they gave up for, for Austin Nola. Um, yeah. If you can hit it all and catch it is, it is a big, big deal. And so guys like Valenzuela, especially ones who are built like he is and like switch hits mm-hmm. have any kind of, potential offensive ability at all. I yeah. tend to want to hit the gas with where I align them up. It's it, true of all the up to the middle positions, but especially a catcher. Yeah. And he gets those defensive grades that you love to hear. And, and the fact that the pitchers love to throw to him and he calls a good game. And, and that's what that's positive. You like to hear that. I mean, Austin Hedges still has a job out there. He can't hit water if he fell out of a boat, but he still has a job because right. he can frame. He works well with pitchers. He gets the job done and, and he's that old school type of catcher that that does have some value as long as you can put some offense in there when you need it. Um, let's move on to Esturi Ruiz, someone who's kind of breaking out this year in 2022 uh, after being on the cusp of maybe top 100, 100 a couple of years ago and then kind of just falling on his face. Um, what are you seeing from Esturi Ruiz that, that different in, in 2022 uh, as far as just 
making contact and getting on base, which he's done at uh, a remarkable. I think it was at 43 games or 44 games straight so far. Yeah. You know, when this guy first popped up, I guess it would have been 2018. Mm-hmm. He was stuff pretty good on here. I mean, he was, he was a 19 year old who speed power, right? Yeah. Like Oriano 45. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the hit tool component trended down and now he's 23. And I guess, you know, the numbers have been huge at double a, when you look under the hood and like, obviously the numbers were so ridiculous that like I did a lot of work digging on how, what had changed, how real this might be. Uh, some of the swing elements are a little bit more simplified, but for the most part, there is still a lot of underlying swing and miss happening here. He's like swinging and missing at the sliders that you would think most hitters would like the well-located sliders down and away. There's still a lot of in zone fastball swing and miss at the letters. Um, and some like general stiffness and like lack of burial barrel variability, you know, like just watching him swing. This is still a guy who's like making contact, mostly center cut through the middle of the zone. So I don't buy that. There has been like a huge change here that like, you know, the guy who we thought Esther Ruiz would be at peak has actually arrived. It just took a couple of years longer. Like, I don't think that that's what's going on. I, but I, what I do think the interesting development here, the center field component, which we didn't have an opportunity to really see him until the middle of last year. Like I think he played close to 20 games in center field last year. It was the beginning of a transition from second base and then to left and now to center field. And he's just so fast. Like he's stolen all these bases and that part of it, stolen bases are not always a great indicator of how fast the guy actually is. But in this case, it is like this guy can really run and is like a seven runner and he's new to center field. And if you told me that this guy was going to like run into, if you gave him a full season worth of ABs, if he's going to like run into 12 or 15 bombs just by virtue of how much raw power he has, even if he's going to hit like a buck 90, 210, somewhere in there uh, and play a good center field while making an impact on the bases, like maybe platooning with somebody who hits left-handed or whatever. Like there are ways that a guy like this can impact your big league roster. And so like this guy's alive as a big league contributor, but I don't think that this start is emblematic of the guy that, you know, like I don't think this is a guy who's going to like slug 450, you know, yeah. plus consistently in the big leagues or anything like that. I just think that he is, uh, like going to be an okay like fifth outfield yeah. component type yeah. guy. He, he, he uh, might he might actually, but it's so cool. Yeah, he might actually make it to the majors now, right? I mean, yeah. Where, where a couple of years ago he was one of those prospects who was just in jeopardy of of never even making it to even AAA. I mean, it, it, that's just the sad reality of it. Um, like if you look at what Jose Azokar is doing yes. for you guys, it's like okay, like you know this guy's not really hitting but you can see he runs and he can play all three outfield positions pretty well. Like a guy like that has big league utility. Yes. And so a guy who runs about as well as Azokar and plays a good center field and like also has a little bit more juice, you could see how a guy like that could be your fifth outfielder and, Definitely. and do some stuff for you. So, yeah, I think that, I think that it's, it's nice to see this, this transition has been, been good and, and that's why prospect analysts like your stuff use the, the term floor to kind of describe a, pro, a prospect as far as their uh their ability or what they can and cannot achieve let's let's talk a little bit about josh mir someone who's continued 
continued to struggle uh, making contact. Um, have you seen him recently in Arizona? Uh, or what do you make of Josh Mears' uh, struggle with the bat? Yeah, I saw a little bit of him during minor league spring. I think it's just a, a piece of what his profile has at this point. Like it is so strongly part of the profile that it, it, it's always likely to, to be there. I don't think that this is ever going to be a guy with like a plus hit tool. Um, it's just going to be about how much power he can get to. And if he can pump the on-base portion via walks. So that's what's going to be the big component here is can this guy over the course of the rest of his minor league career show you that even though he's going to strike out 30 plus percent of the time there's enough other on-base component here uh, that he can be a big league role player for you and i you know we have a 40 on mirrors that's like if you told me jordan luplo was going to turn into jordan luplo like we'd have a 40 on him. He's still a good big leaguer. He's going to have a career as a guy who mashes lefties uh, and plays a role on your team. But, but I don't think Josh Mears is like the second coming of like Fran Mill Reyes, right? Like if you guys would have kept Fran Mill, that probably would have been good. Um, he's a good player. He's not a star, um, but there's bat to ball feel and huge power there. Fran Mill's one of those guys who has sort of bucked, you know, and Ty Francis, the other one, sorry to keep bringing these guys up, but yeah. like the corner guy who's too aggressive, it's rare for them to have enough bat to ball skill to like support that profile where they're going to have an OBP in like the 310, 320 area. Um, but they hit enough and for enough power to support it. And like Fran Mail has been one of those guys, but you know, mirrors, if he, if all works out, like that's the type of guy you're, you're hoping that he becomes where he's just crushing lefties, hitting for power, low average, lower OBP. Probably there's just enough there that he's is still some sort of role player, but you know, obviously like we're still in this era of newness with stat cast stuff and minor leaguers and understanding what it means and how telling any of it actually is. So, you know, this guy, when he was a teenager, hit a ball 117 miles per hour in a big league spring training game and so like that speaks to something it's not meaningless, but obviously the hit, you know, you got to make enough contact to get to some of that stuff. And, um, I guess the other thing that gives you confidence that he's going to do some amount of that is like the ground ball rates have been so low, uh, you know, like they're in that 30% area, which is an indication that this guy's like lifting the crap out of the baseball all the time. Um, and you see that when you watch him, like his hands load so low uh, that like that's the swing is geared for lift. Uh, like it's uphill the whole time. So um, like there, there's some, some good stuff going on here. I think that all the strikeouts probably mean this guy's not like a true everyday player or a star, uh, but there's still so much power that he might be a good role player for you yet. Yeah. Two things about mirrors. I was there. When he hit that home run, it was glorious. It was awesome. And uh, it definitely caught my roommate's attention who doesn't care about baseball. And then uh, he was off to such a great start this year. And then he got hurt. He got hit by a pitch and he's been really bad ever since. So hopefully he can figure it out. But you kind of mentioned it with Ty France and we posed, uh, we, we tweeted out to our Padres followers, you know, asking if they had any questions for you. And one of our EVT San Diego State guys, uh, wrote the question, you know, the Potters have traded a lot of players in recent years to acquire major league talent. How would you evaluate AJ Preller's acumen in these trades? And I mean, France was obviously a major leaguer at the time, but you know, how would you evaluate how AJ Preller has 
built this team given the fact that he's done a lot of it from trading homegrown prospects? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think obviously there have been some gigantic hits and that the like pound for pound, when this group points at a guy to acquire, typically they, they do pretty well. Um, there haven't always been in terms of like understanding the way a guy's contract might balance the way other teams value them and the way that should inform your ask around prospect packages or what you're willing to give up uh, in the form of a prospect package. I don't know that they've always been very good at that. I think there are some times when, as they are promoting guys, like we mentioned with Abrams, like there are some times where they, they seem to kind of be doing it for its own sake, like almost as if to say like, Hey, all these high school pitchers from this class of all of them, Ryan Weathers got to the big leagues first. And it's like, yeah, but he didn't develop a change up. And so he's getting shelled, you know, like uh, I think that some of the failures have been around not envisioning what cogent player dev could have done for guys like a Matt Brash. Like if you look at Matt Brash and again, like part of this is we had the pandemic, right? So that guy got picked and then you don't have anything from him really because the pandemic, you know, the teams who were the best at understanding what was going on with their remote dev guys uh, throughout like the back of 2020 are all the teams who are savvy pitch data teams and the Padres aren't like the Padres, if anything have historically like actively rejected a lot of that stuff. Some of the stuff that teams have sometimes lean on too heavily, but for the most part, the teams that have like been able to tap into that stuff are the teams that can make like the giants, like make Logan Webb freaking awesome out of nowhere. And like Alex Cobb. So suddenly (laughs) is throwing really hard. Like, you know, Alex Wood finds consistency. Like there are teams who are better at this stuff than the Padres are. So if you are one of those teams and you look at Matt Brash's pitch data, maybe you have a a clearer vision for what a guy like that can do. They might get bit in the butt again when it comes to the Matt Beattie trade, right? Like seemingly innocuous River Ryan gets traded to the Dodgers for Matt Beattie because the Padres need a serviceable corner bat. Like it makes sense. They're trying to figure out like they got Voight and they got Beatty. And like, again, that makes sense. Like the two of those guys fit pretty well together as like a left-handed and right-handed complement to one another off the bench or a first base or DHing. Like I get it. But at the same time, if what you gave up is a guy who's got like a mid to upper nineties fastball, all of a sudden it has huge carry and it kind of looks scary what the Dodgers might end up making this guy into like, there's something there that they didn't see. Um, so, you know, the group of guys who they've gotten rid of, it's, it speaks to how good they have been at drafting. Um, and then to some extent developing, although they moved on from Sam Gini, who was running the dev department, yes. you know, at the end of last year. So there was turnover there. Preston Mattingly left. Uh, Sam was not brought back. Um, but like, you know, Mason Thompson is struggling, but they did get something for him. Reggie Preciado is struggling. Uh, I think Owen Casey maybe even is struggling, but like they did get something for him. I think they 
Blake Hunt looked so good that fall. And I think that they felt, you know, this was his value will not be higher than it looked. Then he looks so good this fall. He probably isn't quite that good. Like let's move him. Like, so some of that stuff, they've been good at, at cutting bait when it has made sense. But at other times it feels like they have not well, had a great feel for what it is. The, I don't know. I what, it, what is your thoughts on the, on the Clevenger deal and, and all the prospects that were dealt in that? I mean, we're, you're a prospect guy. So you must've been like, Whoa, that's a big price tag. Initially. It was, a, I guess. So, I mean, that was Arius. Arius Miller. Miller. Arius. It was Arius Naylor Quantrill. Uh, it was Hedges, uh, Owen, Miller, Cantillo. Yeah, Owen Miller, and Cantillo. Yes, those were the six. Yep. Right. It felt more, I guess at the time, it felt more like a package of of role players where Arius was the one who had a chance to really blow up. And like Owen Miller's fine. I know that Owen Miller's numbers early on this year like are super, super yeah. good. But if that guy's going to be playing first base every day, like, He's not going to win this forever. Like he's okay. I think that group is, is mostly fine. Um, I think the other thing that maybe the Padres have in that, that deal. And I think the Darvish deal is also emblematic of some issues are they tend to put all their eggs in one basket rather than diversifying and alleviating risk. The Francisco Mejia trade, um, like they they had other packages on the table where they got Mejia back from Cleveland that were like multiple guys that would have like made it so like you knew you knew at the time when they got Mejia like this guy has star level ability but if he can't catch then you have a first base DH who is super aggressive right and that's very risky and so that's ultimately like how things panned out for the most part is like Francisco Mejia, if he was your everyday catcher, it'd be a disaster. Like he can't handle that load from a, like a technical perspective, but if he's your backup, like it's okay. Um, so like there have been it, it like instances where they've given up a ton of pieces for one thing or, you know, vice versa have gotten one piece back for this big chip that they should cash in for. You know, you look at some of the way the other teams operate with some of these trades and Cleveland is a great example where Cleveland is like, give us four plus guys back, you know, uh, Baltimore, you want to, you want Dylan Bundy, give us four college pitchers who we can develop and turn into like something that might be okay. And like, Oh, look, one of them is Kyle Bradish, you know, like it's a bunch of guys who are met up down relievers. You still get something out of them. And one of them you develop into Kyle Bradish. Um, so I think that there, there are times when teams see players in this system who have meat on the bone developmentally, and they want to try to access that. They want to try to take advantage of how uh, aggressive and like gunsling slingery, AJ can be. And those traits that like make up his tendencies as an executive are what get you Fernando Tatis. And they are also what gets you Esther Ruiz. And they're also what gets you Francisco Perez or Francisco Mejia, excuse me. And they're what gets you Jake Cronenworth. Like he just beat the Rays like on Cronenworth by seeing like Cronenworth's baseballiness, right? in a way that the Rays don't really look at guys. So um, it's a double 
double-edged sword and it's been fascinating to see it play out. And obviously everything feels kind of top heavy because the way the Dodgers develop pitching and the way the Giants develop pitching means that they have the pieces coming from within that the Padres have to go out of their way to acquire. Like you want Taylor Williams, like give us this interesting sleeper. You want, you know, Tim Hill, like we, this is, we need Edward Olivares and another component, Dylan Coleman. Like Dylan Coleman has basically been about as good as Timmy Hill. Um, And they gave up another piece. Like, so, you know, I think that um, it's, I love it and I don't want, you know, AJ to go away and don't, don't think he does a bad job. Uh, obviously like the team is in the position it's in yeah, in large no. part because of him and the people around him, Logan white and David post. And, you know, the, the core group of people who make the decisions there are good at finding baseball players, but also some of the process oriented stuff in terms of like managing these rosters, trying to snowball prospects uh, to create, like a foundation that helps things be sustainable. Like it has been for the Rays and the Dodgers, some of these other teams, like they don't seem to be keyed in on, on doing that part of it. Yeah. And last question from me, uh, and then we'll throw it to James for one or two more is uh, a question also on Twitter from David Mays. And he basically just wanted to know everything, you know, about Corey Howell. And I mean, I look, I pulled up his stats from this year and 412 OBP with a 226 batting average. He's got 21 walks on this young season and an 877 OPS. So he's having a good year in San Antonio. Uh, what can you tell us about Mr. Howell? Yeah. Uh, Corey Howell, uh, interesting junior college draft pick by the Brewers. They left him here his first pro summer to play like complex level ball. And on that stage, it was just like, how did that, that guy last into whatever round he lasted in, like he was, a, he was a day three pick of some, of some stripe. Um, the Brewers started moving him all over the field. He was pretty raw when he came to pro ball, uh, they started moving him all over the place and he's had experience at every position except for maybe third and first base. Um, he can really run the contact component is well below average. He'll probably be like the way I have those three center field guys stacked in the list with Ruiz at the bottom, Corey Howell in the middle, and then Corey Rosier at the top, like littered throughout the, the middle of the system is basically like Corey Rosier might hit enough to be an everyday player. Corey Howell most certainly will not but he has defensive versatility and ability on the infield that Esther Ruiz does not. Esther, we're just hoping can continue to be a developmental project in center field. How it would seem like is quite good there and can kind of play the infield and give you about the same production offensively. Whereas Rosier it's center field, maybe although his arm strength might be a liability there and maybe like plus bat to ball skills, which the other two guys do not have. Yeah. Uh, and it gives Rosier a chance to like maybe be an everyday guy through with the hit tool. Whereas the other two guys really don't have that shot. So I like Howell as players all over the place, like 25th or 26 man plus plus speed. Obviously the plate discipline component seems 
present here. The lack of power might mean that big league guys just go right at him and that kind of goes away. Uh, but definitely a, a big league role player um, just based on the versatility and the way he can impact the game with his, with his legs. Yeah, he's he's definitely quick. That's for sure. That's a that's a speedy, speedy outfielder. Uh, let's talk about a couple of pitchers, uh, Robert Gasser and uh, Garrett Hack- Hawkins. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, your upside uh, on both of them, if you would, uh, before we send you out of here. Yeah, uh, Hawkins, I think, is the one of those two who's got bigger swing and miss upside. Okay, Gasser. They, these guys, the Padres love these ultra athletic, competitive, mix your kitchen sink repertoire, get to the big leagues fast, like Lucchese and Margavichis and Gasser's the next guy like that. He and Jackson Wolf are both in that sort of area um, in terms of what, like the way they go about it. So uh, Robert Gasser's got the, like a really short, low arm action uh, feel for locating his changeup. Changeup could use some more movement. So maybe they'll find a way to give him like that Devin Williams style, like cut across the face of it, uh, screwball style changeup and just like see if they can get more action on that pitch. But, you know, lefty with a good breaking ball, commands everything. Uh, he should move move quickly and, and profiles at the back of a rotation. Mm-hmm. Hawkins. Hawkins, I had like some people with some other teams ask me about Hawkins over the winter, maybe when the lockout ended and there was like trade discussions had kind of picked up. Folks asked me if I had like seen him last summer, Um, kind of tipped me off to really try to target him here during the spring. And he's pretty interesting. He's got a, you know, big time fastball carry. He's only living 91 to 93, but he'll touch a 95. And that's up like that velo is up compared to last year. So the arrow is pointing up for him from an arm strength perspective. He is pretty projectable. This is maybe a tip of the iceberg guy. He's University of, of British Columbia. It was kind of hard to see him for parts of the pandemic period because of Canadian travel restrictions. So they kind of might have unearthed something late there. Um, we'll see. Uh, but definitely in terms of like, having the chance of having an impact fastball yeah hawkins hawkins's shot of of having that are much much greater than than gasser and a lot of the other guys here towards the bottom of the system um efren contreras's fastball is also sort of in this area where it's like low 90s touching peaking in the mid 90s with these like riding carry elements through the zone um I think in the blurb that I'm comping Hawkins delivery to like Ubaldo Jimenez, like where that front side is flying way, way open. And he's got that like extreme vertical arm slot. Like that's part of what's helping him create that carry on that fastball. So it's going to be about secondary pitch development. Can he find a way, you know, to locate that changeup consistently despite having such a vertical arm slot? We've seen some guys be able to do that in the past. Michael Waka is like the king of that, where he had early on that huge, you know, open stride, uh, spinal tilt, vertical arm slots, and still was like creating real action on his changeup from that slot, uh, which can be difficult for guys to do. And Hawkins seems to be able to do that so far. So um, I think he's a very interesting, I think they might've found something pretty, pretty interesting late in, in the draft with him. 
Yeah, that's it's it's interesting to see his velocities going up, and uh, he's having a great year for Lake Elsinore. Lake Elsinore so far. Uh, Padre fans, you might want to go head up and see him before he probably is going to be promoted to Fort Wayne. I would imagine uh, relatively soon with the the production that he's putting up in, in Lake Elsinore. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for your time. As always, man, you, you're you're so great to the show. Uh, we appreciate. It. We could go on all night. Uh, there's just so much uh, about the system that that's interesting uh, to hear from from someone like yourself and your opinion about it. Uh, again, thank you so much for your show, for, for coming on and, and talking to us, man. My pleasure. Uh, thanks for being patient while I crank these out with the like level of detail that I prefer to have. Um, <laughs> folks, if you're interested in prospects for their own sake, then come on over to the site. I've got a handful of orgs to do yet. Basically the, um, the Rangers and and the Royals are the last two of the like this cluster of teams that I'm working on in the northwest part of of Arizona here. The, the ones who are like based out here. Um, yeah, surprise so is got, a little too far. <laughs> yes. So um. So yeah, Peoria, the Peoria and uh, surprise teams are are the teams that are coming out in the short term here with the, the Mariners and Padres done of those four and Casey and Texas still to come. And then after that, I've got like the East coast of Florida um, basically. And, and then I'm done. So that'll be the Mets, the Marlins, the Cardinals, the Astros, the nationals and the Braves are not technically on the East coast, but they're just sort of off on an Island on their own in the state of Florida. Um, but yeah, I just got that, that pot of teams left to do yet. And then we'll be all cinched up and then we'll have drafts stuff and add those players to everyone's list as well. Excellent stuff from Fangraphs as always, man. Fangraphs is the place to go. It's preferred by by most uh, everyone. Thank you guys. Thanks, Eric. That was our conversation with Eric Longenhagen, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs. Of course, um, like, like I mentioned, his list is linked from his podcast episode and also on the article going along with his podcast on each village times. Com. So definitely make sure to check that out. You know, of course, that conversation was very long, but we didn't get anywhere near close to talking about all the prospects that are listed on that list. So, I mean, uh, he, you know, he said it himself. He's a detailed talker when it comes to. Uh, well, he's a detailed writer and I mean, even yeah. more detailed talker. Yes. And we've we've known uh, of all the years of having him on the show that uh, give him space, just kind of just uh, mention a name and just kind of let him go and, and uh it was awesome to hear him talk about, uh, you know, kind of shoot from here and there about other players. Love what he's seeing in Zavala. Love that he saw uh, Harleen Susana in person and dudes throwing triple digits. I mean, it, it, this Padre farm system is definitely still flourishing. Yeah, it's it's been fun to follow them because, I mean, I think the narrative is that the Padres don't have this great farm system. I don't think that's necessarily true five guys. And I mean, he said woods in that like 75 range. So five guys mm-hmm. in his top 100, I mean, this, the system's got great players yeah. and I think a lot of guys are going to continue to grow. And I mean, he talked very highly of Brandon Valenzuela who he's got at 12. Mm-hmm. So yes. I, I think this system is better than a lot of people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, would love for the Padres to, you know, with the new staff uh, can get more, homegrown players and develop more of their own players into becoming Padres, because that is the more sustainable uh, route to having a successful well, franchise. Yeah. I mean, let, let, the Padres aren't successful right now, but, but let's, they're let's, a lot better. 
let, let's be honest here. I mean, the salaries we're 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 about the top of what what the Padres are going to spend as far as salaries concerned. Right. They're going to need young players to come in, making league minimum and performing at uh, various positions on the field, in the pitching staff, in the bullpen, in order to sustain this. That That's just how it goes. That's why a, a player like M- Mackenzie Gore or a player like uh, Jake Cronenworth are valuable because they're making pennies of what they're worth, if you will. It's it's yeah. it's business aspect of this sport that you kind of got to juggle around, and, and the Padres have set themselves up well in that regard. Yeah, and uh, a couple of players are playing up to their level of uh, being paid, such as Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer. They're they're playing up to that, and then uh, I mean, there's some players who are are not. It's it's okay. You're not you're not going to get all those guys. But Padres, like you mentioned, 13 games over 500, half a game out of first place against the Dodgers, who I mean have been there, done that, and you know, it, it feels more sustainable. Like I mean, there was obviously a lot of hope at around this time last year when the Padres just came off nine straight wins on the homestand mm-hmm. and were had the best record in baseball, but that was because the offense was firing and none of the starters were hurt, but the Padres have six healthy starters and Ryan Weathers and Reese Kinnair and AAA. They have guys. I mean, I, I think this team is built to have some success. And I mean, obviously I was going to be shocked if they missed the postseason last more, year, but I'd, I'd be shocked this year too. Morhones hit in high nineties in, in San Antonio a couple nights ago, and 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 could be uh, love it in line for for a start or two down the road. So they definitely have depth. They definitely have. Mike Clevenger went down today, and we're not even talking about it. Not stressed about it. I mean, it's like, oh well. And they made it seem like it's not a huge issue. Like it's it's tricep, so it's not elbow related. Obviously, yeah, tricep was it triceps? What we heard in the playoffs? Uh, in no, 20? I thought no, that was they, the first initial diagnosis. Was, bone spurs i thought you really i thought initially when he was i don't know i, I whatever the clevenger's arm is 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 what it is we have depth the padres have depth there's there's no reason to to worry about such a thing uh we'll just i don't know it's 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 a nice feeling for this organization and for this franchise to have this sustainability that that they actually do have which is a rarity in, in san diego for sure. Yeah, it's nice knowing that. I mean, the way this team is playing, that they're only going to grow. Tatis is, you mentioned it earlier. He's going to yep. come back eventually. You know, no one really knows how soon, but he's getting his work in. And some of the guys on the offense, I mean, Will Myers, Luke Voigt, Jay Cronenworth, Trent yep. Grisham, Austin Nola, they haven't really gotten it going. And at some point, they probably will. At some point, maybe Machado and Eric Cosmer are going to come down to earth. I mean, we saw that a little bit uh, this week from Hosmer, but hopefully you're going to get more of the growing from the guys who haven't been performing as opposed to the coming down to earth for, I mean, really the two guys that have performed offensively. Yeah. And and let's talk about the fact that AJ pro is an absolute madman and the Padres have prospects that they can deal to obtain just about anybody. We heard the Juan Soto rumors come out of the the blue this week that we know that Preller uh, loves Juan Soto. We know the nationals are not afraid to make a trade uh, like that. So I I, I don't know where there's smoke, there's fire. Maybe there's something to come, but if Juan Soto is actually dealt by the nationals, you can be sure that the Padres will have discussions in regards to what it will take. And that's pretty exciting for party fans. Right. And 
The report that you're referring to was from Buster Olney, ESPN, and he asked rival executives, and they said, well, you know, it might be in the best interest of the Nationals to trade Juan Soto. Yeah. And then... They shut it, they shot it I, down I, right away. Boris shot yeah. it down right away. Boris shot it down. The Nationals were like, absolutely not. So uh, that was funny. And, you know, kind of speaks that there, it's not going to happen. But, you know, we can dream. Juan Soto is the second sure. best center in baseball. Hey, if the, if the Angels were, fell on their face, we'd be talking about Mike Trout, right? I mean, <laughs> that's, just, yeah. just, that's just the reality of being a Padre fan, of being a baseball fan, of just dreaming. And and uh, uh, it's nice that the Padres are, are a franchise that has a future and – competitive baseball is something that we've always wanted and we've got, and it's, it's just a good feeling. Um, Dominic, go ahead and take us out of here. We've, we've, uh, we've ran over, uh, but it's been an excellent show. Uh, Dominic will be traveling uh, next week, uh, heading out to Florida, doing some exciting announcing uh, in, in, well, I'll go ahead and let you explain it, Dominic. Yeah. So I'm heading out to Palm beach. I'll be broadcasting some collegiate league summer ball. And for the collegiate league of the Palm beaches, nice. uh, I'll be posting my broadcast links on Twitter. Uh, hopefully some Potter fans can jump in there. You know, I mean, I, I've wanted to become a baseball broadcaster listening to the great voices of the San Diego Padres. Not, not a whole lot of Jerry Coleman just cause I was too young, but Matt Vaskersian, Dick Enberg, Don Orsillo, Jesse Agler, Ted Leitner on the radio side. It, it's been a passion of mine and, uh, Really going to be able to live that out this summer. I'm super excited. Awesome, Dominic. Kudos to you, man. That's 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 a big thing, and we're really proud here at East Village Times that you that you're out there and representing us and and representing yourself and and just going out there and putting your best foot forward, man. Good stuff, Dominic. So everyone should really give Dominic some love on Twitter for that. That's a that's a great accomplishment for this young man. Yeah, and I'll still be uh, doing some Padres coverage out there because my days will wrap up at around five and I won't have that much to do for them after that. Yeah. So nighttime nighttime writing and podcasting, I'll obviously be three hours ahead. And I'm not sure how many uh, first pitches I'll be able to stay up for and watch the entirety of the game, but uh, definitely catching some Padres games. And uh, the Giants go out to Miami and I fully intend on going down there and rooting for the Marlins against the Giants because why not? Are the Padres going to be in uh, Miami while you're there? No, no, yeah. they they go out there, and I believe late August. So I will miss the Padres in Miami, which that would have been awesome. But been, uh, been. my my road track record for the Padres is not very good. <laughs> yeah, we don't we we don't want that to continue in the state of Florida. Two straight, two straight yeah. wins. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, Dominic, take us out of here. Yeah, no, thank you all for listening to episode 157 with Eric Loggenhagen of Fangraphs. Uh, he's, of course, the lead prospect uh, evaluator for them. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. It's at Loggenhagen. Uh, he's got a very nice uh, Twitter handle. Not always tweeting about Padres prospects, but uh, if you want to be up to date on uh, potential stars in the future of baseball, he's definitely a guy you want to follow. And uh, like you mentioned, he's going to be cranking out the rest of his uh, Fangraphs list. So, Make sure to follow him and make sure to follow James and I on Twitter. You can find James at EVT underscore J Clark, of course, meaning eastfieldstimes.com. You can find me at DMstern19. It's going to be more Padres stuff and also some uh, Florida Collegiate League baseball stuff if you have any interest in that. You're really talking about the future of baseball there, but sure. uh, any follows would be appreciated uh, going into the season. You know, if you want to listen to some baseball, you know, while you're at the work office, uh, because Major League Baseball isn't on, 
can uh, pull up my Twitter account. You can find some, uh, some baseball streams for that, but thank you all for listening. Uh, make sure to follow and subscribe to our podcast on your preferred podcast platform. If you've gotten to this point, thank you once again, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Go Padres.